As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And welcome to From the Rookery End, brought to you by The Athletic. It's a podcast all about a life following Watford Football Club. And hey, hey, Watford are doing pretty well at the moment. Another win away this time at Rotherham, uh, 4-1. Mike's with me. Mike, you are right? Could have been very different, couldn't it? Now, obviously, we sat to save a penalty and then they scored. That would have made it 3-2. It would have been a very nervy <laughs> oh, evening, wouldn't it? Hey? Dear Lord. Uh, and uh, Adam Leventhal is with us. I'm not having any of that negativity. Adam, you have to ignore it. You have to ignore it. You have to ignore it. If you, if you great talk win. about it. Great win. Yeah, great win for Watford. So great, in fact, we are now, and I'm weird saying this, we're second. We are actually second in this league. Unless massive things happen as we record this podcast uh, and Swansea come back against Bournemouth. But with goal difference ahead of Swansea and five points clear Brentford, Watford are in second place in the championship. That seems the most ridiculous thing I've ever said <laughs> if I talked to myself a month ago, or just over a month ago, when we had drawn away at Coventry, we lost at home to QPR, and then the 13th of Feb, at home, six goals against Bristol City, and since then, Adam, this has been the biggest turnaround in recent years. I can't think of a bigger one. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you take it back to that Coventry game, that was the sort of the lowest of the low. There, there wasn't really anywhere else that Watford could go from there. Um, and thankfully, you know, they, they stuck with it. And then the penny dropped and they played the formation. You'll remember that everyone was asking for, played everyone in their in their rightful positions and, yeah, just let fly. And it was the first of two sort of sets of four wins in a row that that started and the confidence started to flow they were all together obviously and that's just sort of rolled on and on and on and obviously we had the that game down on the uh, south coast which we don't want to talk about too much but they haven't let that deter them and they've been building in confidence they've had more of a swagger in all of these games and then obviously against Rotherham you know they've been you know off for the best part of a you know week 10 days 
with COVID, hit really badly, didn't have their head coach there. Some of the players had been um, suffering as well. So they were there for the taking. And it was just the professionalism of the performance, in particular in that first half, um, that really, really showed. And it was it was just good for them to to get get into the game, ride out a little bit of you know trouble early doors, and then kick on, and obviously get the goals and almost have the game won, and then just have to keep their nerve in the second half, which they just about did, didn't they, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just about. I mean, John, you say. You say it's you say it's a, a big turnaround, and obviously this 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 run of form isn't to be sniffed at. Is it eight, eight wins in nine games? I think. Yeah. yeah. Like like you said, Adam, and that is great, and that takes doing whatever league you're in, whatever team is in, whatever league. It's it's difficult to do that, but I think it is. I'm not shocked. I'm shocked as if you, if you put it into context as after the after the Coventry game, it, this this run of form looked an absolute miles away. It looked, as we said at the time, an impossibility. But we always knew that this was a talented group of players, didn't we? And I think they will be looking at themselves and saying, "This is how we should have been playing all season. This is the these are the performances we should have been turning in week in week out." Let's not forget that pre Coventry, whilst there were some there were some. Uh, there were some poor performances. There were actually some very, very good results. So, you know, we were squeaking out 1-0 wins here and there, weren't we? They just weren't much to, to write home about. Certainly nothing like what we've been treated to over the last sort of six weeks or so. I'm sort of <clears throat> just thinking, as you were saying there, John, is it the biggest turnaround ever? It's, I'm not sure it is, but it is certainly one of the most unique seasons I can remember as a, as a Watford supporter already, no matter how it ends now. There's, all of a sudden, there's, we're down to single digits of, of games left. There's only nine games left in the season all of a sudden. But already, whatever happens, I think it'll be one of the uh, the most unique and sort of curious seasons as a, as a Watford supporter ever. But, but straight back to the to the present day I think yeah I think Adam summed it up perfectly it was an absolute professional performance I thought early on I thought crikey first five minutes it looked like we all did it as Watford supporters didn't we today we thought right a brilliant win at the weekend we've won at Cardiff we go to um, Rotherham who haven't um, they're, they're in they're fighting for their lives they haven't been able to train for two weeks this has got Rotherham 1 Watford nil written all over it and I defy <laughs> any self-respecting Hornet to say that that didn't didn't cross their mind and then I thought for the first five minutes it did feel a little bit like we we took a little while to to switch on we were giving them it was almost like we were we were trying to suss them out a little bit Perhaps because I just think we were a bit what, slow. Well, it was a thing in my head like, who on earth were we going to be facing? Were we going to be facing a very rested team who had all the energy going for the ninety minutes? They haven't played for two weeks, or, or are they going to be mentally all over the place and not know what they're doing? And it was like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah well, you're, you're doing something. There's an energy there, but they weren't quite together. They weren't really anywhere near as worrying as Cardiff were on, on the weekend. Oh, God, no. 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 And I suppose that was a, a, quite a nice thing. And it, it was the first goal, by the way, Sierra Alta, two and two. Yeah. I mean, only one of those <laughs> Watford, but two or two and two. You know, that first, yeah, that was literally Watford's first purposeful attack yeah. um, with Ishmael Asar just hitting as hard as he could really uh, at the goal and it, it got for the corner in the set piece Sierra got on the end of it for his first his first goal for well his first goal for Watford but not first goal in the Watford shirt quickness of thought from from it was that it's like you say John it was Saar who who forced it he forced the issue early on the difference all night wasn't it the 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 quality that Watford had up front you know Ishmael Saar prowling around like we've we've spoken about in the last few podcasts just absolutely dominating up there and as soon as that first goal went in you did feel like any of that you know it was only you know I'm I'm 
I could almost hear Adam sighing in the background there saying, oh, Mike, come on, don't pick up on that first fight. It, it was only a five-minute period, but I did, I did think, ooh, is it going to be a dodgy night? But as soon as that first goal went in, I think any any concerns were very, very quickly dispelled and it, and it almost became a case of, once again, and, you know, Watford have done this to, to better sides than Rotherham with better, um, with, with less problems than, than Rotherham could have completely and utterly blown them away without without trace. You know, it was it was kind of three nil in the blink of an eye. I know I'm I'm jumping ahead, but um once that first goal went in, Sierra Alta's well earned header, um it was it just felt like right, okay, we've arrived, let's get on with what we, we know we can do here. You know what it made me think of? Obviously, a lot of people that will be listening, men and women, are very much looking forward to to going um, playing five-a-side football again on a you know a midweek <laughs> night at goals or you know wherever they're going. That's what it reminded me of when I saw Rotherham. They were they were just full of adrenaline at the beginning of that yeah. game, just running around, running around like yes, we're playing football again, um, and they did look really really confident. But I think that that experience that Watford had from the game against Cardiff, which was far more sort of industrial and, and agricultural, stood them in good stead to just sort of go, no, 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 it's all right. Okay, look, we've been through this before. We've got that sort of learned experience of, of exactly how we deal with this. Ride it out. And then Will Hughes started to get on the ball, just tick along. And then, you know, to kick on beyond that first goal and that the current, you know, that theme through all three of them was... Felix, Philip Zinkenagel mm. and, and his distribution. He looked really lively this evening. Once again, always able to go both ways, cutting back onto his right boot. And that second goal was, you know, I mean, it could have been, it could have been either one of the two finishes. You know, if it had been um, Nathaniel Shalabar's little flick, great. Blackman saved really well. But then Ishmael Assar, that was a clever finish to sort of adjust onto his left boot and, and finish into the roof of the net. So, you know, there was there was lots of sort of good things within that movement. Obviously, Zinkanagel being there and being confident and looking all the way through, I thought, like he was he was the playmaker. And even down to some of the sort of the signals that he was giving for, for corners yeah. and set pieces and things like that. It, clearly, they've been working on them quite, quite a lot. You know, there was that new signal. I don't know if they do that a lot in... Um, in Norwegian football or Danish football or, or or whatever where you know where he's played but I've not really seen that the the flat palm on top of a head before I've seen one <laughs> arm go up or two hands go up but not the I'm wearing a cap that that clearly means I'm going to fling it into the near post and João Pedro is going to come and uh, try and sort of flick it in old school Watford really isn't it sort of um John McClellan sort of sneaking in and and after the the flick on at the near post so you know it's yeah you know they've obviously been working on things and and they came off especially with that third goal as well yeah love the 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 fact that the third one after the goals from uh, Sierra and Saar and then Semmer uh, the three s's and i think from what i've seen um i half heard john mention it on the commentary um then saw mm. um john sinclair mention it it's the first time since august 1986 when three players of surname start with the same letter uh, and that was my first ever game so it's a very long time ago since it happened. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it was Barnes, oh, nice. Bissett and Bardsley. That first half sort of just went on and it really felt like, wow, you know, maybe not wow, but the that is a performance. You can see all the games almost, all the games that we've seen Watford play. You could see all that experience coming through in those, in that, in that first half performance as, as individuals but also as, as a team. And I suppose the second half just threw things out a little bit. 
but for good reasons, I think. You know, particularly when it comes to substitutes, Adam. You know, the f- first substitutions came like just eight minutes into the in the second half. Our favourite duo of uh, of Kiko and uh, Ismail Assar. But on comes Ngakia uh, and Andre Gray. Starting to give those boys, it felt like more for a rest rather than give people uh, extra minutes of that one, Adam. Yeah, obviously everyone will have been worried seeing Saar um, go down before being substituted. But then when he and Kiko both went off, it looked far more like it was a, it was a planned substitution. But we can hear what Cisco said about Saar at full time. I have a big respect for Tottenham because uh, they was in a difficult situation before about COVID, and today also the guards of them no was in the in the bench. I have uh, all my respect for for the team because I know what is the work with the situation about COVID. Uh, I think it was a amazing performance. I think our team right now is uh, is brilliant. They understand what we want, what is. Uh, our moment and uh, the, the most important is uh, every day I think we are improving in different situations. Today we have a, a difficult game. We know about about this team and this team also is a difficult team. But I think the team was in a in good situation, in a, an attack, in defense, and have the control of the ball, save the game. I think right now the team is, uh, is in good situation, but we need to uh, work hard for improving in different options. Ismail Assar, you took him off at the start of the, the second half. He was sitting down. Is he OK? Yeah, and uh, we will see tomorrow. Uh, you know, I never spoke about about uh, injuries because I don't know exactly. Sometimes I can flare you without. But uh, we will see tomorrow what is the what is the problem. And, uh, and you know, Assar is... Uh, He's like a superman and sometimes he's uh, maybe a little tired and he's ready for the next game. We will see. The other substitutions, Mike, again, really felt like they were going to be for just giving rest. You know, Chalaban, Hughes, they haven't played as many games as Ishmael Asar and, and Kiko has played this season. That's for sure. I think that's the, I think that's the first time Sar's been substituted. I think yeah. if he's ever played, he's played the whole 90 minutes. I think he's only missed four games. Um, but they were they're definitely there for for a lot of rest. Think had had got a knock. It's warming. It's it's comforting that the fact that these substitutions came on and we didn't fall apart. Um, yeah. They came on. They filled the spaces and we continued and we did score a fourth goal. Yeah. Well, th- th- so there's a couple of things that that are pleasing about the substitutions. A that we made them and they and we earned the right to do that by effectively putting the game to bed. By half time, we we gave ourselves the opportunity to think about it, let it percolate at half time, and work out how we're going to give these guys a rest. You're absolutely right to point out Ismail Assad, John, and the the incredible shift that he's put in throughout the season. Undoubtedly, getting a buffeting from defenders, um, midfielders, and attackers probably in equal equal measure, such as the amount of ground he makes over the field. So for him to get him up, get his feet up for for an extra half an hour longer than than he already would have done would was absolutely vital. And, and likewise, Kiko. What was really nice was I thought the, the, the second batch of substitutions, the two midfielders that came on, Chalabar again was was busy and uh, looked looked good again this, this, this evening. I thought he was really had one of his, his better games of the season. So get him rested. And Zinkenagel was probably his best performance in a in a in a Watford shirt in the league. Certainly instrumental. He get him off, sort of let him have the you know the walk off, knowing his his job of work is done, and he, mm. he, knowing that he's been taken off 
almost as a reward. You've done your bit, mate. Now we want to protect you. So that will will give him um, that will give him confidence. I think that it sounds an odd thing to say, but hopefully you know what I mean. And and the two guys that came on to replace them, if you're Rotherham, and you think, oh god, they're good goodness, they make they're getting rid of their tricky tricky Zinconagel and that that Chalabar who's everywhere. You've got Dan Gosling, who's helped Bournemouth to the to the Championship and played in the in the Premier League, and Carlos Sanchez, who's who's played twelve games shy of a hundred uh, international games for Colombia. It's like, oh, I mean, there's two things about that. One, they'd lost, they missed the penalty. Yes, <laughs> and that must have been. This could be ours. This is the moment turn. Oh no! Well, then, then they, they scored the goal, and then all of a sudden, those subs and score a goal within how many touches? Four, how many touches, Adam? Do you reckon from Rotherham scoring their their goal and us scoring our fourth? Well, I reckon, I, and we didn't quite see it, did we? On the on the yeah. um, on the actual live live action, but the ball will have gone back to um, William Truster Kong. So that's one. He played the ball forward to Gray, two. Yeah. Gray off to Semmer, three. Semmer back to Gray, four. Gray's shot, shot five. And then onto Gosling, six. Probably yeah, six, seven, eight. You know, that there or thereabouts. So, yeah, it was a great response. But also, I mean, it's worth saying that Daniel Backman, obviously in a game like that... Um, you know, there were there were times that he had to be strong. He had to sort of show his his metal. Um, it wasn't as we mentioned before. It wasn't quite as the you know the same you know style as as Cardiff. But there were moments when he was called upon and he did what he needed to do. And then obviously saving the penalty, it's great for his confidence. And he'll be you know he'll be on cloud nine at the moment. He's been called up for Austria. Um, you know, international caps. He's looking forward to the international break. And there's no reason for Ben Foster at the moment to displace him. So, you know, it, it really good for him. And then, you know, on the on the substitutions, I know you're sort of going through them and that initial sort of the way that it changed things, it made it a little bit like a basketball game and it was sort of end to end. But what I did like to see, and Mike obviously mentioned Carlos Sanchez and the experience that he's got, I quite like the fact that Will Hughes was given a breather um, with what ten minutes to go, and that he could just play that role. Maybe not trying to sort of tick tick along in the at the tempo quite quite as Will Hughes does, or with the the skill and the the guile that that um, Will Hughes has, but just simply going right. Look, okay, fine. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting, and I'm just playing it easy. Playing it easy. Yeah, he gave away a free kick at the end, but that could happen to anyone. But it's been nice to see how he's just gradually just played very simply just keep it simple don't overcomplicate things and that's all you need in that midfield and for Gosling to come back play get some minutes under his belt you know having come back from that injury it's all it's all good it's because they are they're the supporting cast we know that Cisco likes to stick with the the players that he likes and there's no reason to deviate from that starting 11 at the moment and then you think right well then you've got cleverly coming back hopefully after the international break so you've got real competition for places or you've got a different way of of doing things in different games so you know they're they're in really good good touch at the moment and hopefully you know heading into that international break hopefully fingers crossed i know birmingham will have a new um, mindset because they've got rid of um, or they have lee bowyer in charge you know they can head into that international break and have it as a really nice breather with the with the you know the the money in the bank that's yours we're not going to take that away from you it's like, you, know, <laughs> you know and then and then go again after the international break fingers crossed yeah, and it's not long to go after that international break um is it michael eight games left of this season eight games where have they gone 
I'm going to pull you up a little bit there because, yes, I think we're right. Pull you up or bring us down, Michael? Which one is it? No, just a gentle sort of (laughs) fatherly sort of, come on, Lance, come on, come on. We need to, uh, let's let's enjoy it. Absolutely. It's a 4-1 away win, uh, an eighth win in nine. We absolutely have to to, um, enjoy it. But to talk about the international break, we have a game to go. And Birmingham will Birmingham will pose a threat. There were a couple of times tonight where Watford did switch off. There was there was a I think there was a, a, a free kick routine where it was obvious that um, Rotherham had a, a man down the right. They had an overload down the right, played it into space, and, and you know that that allowed them to set up a very dangerous uh, attack. They did have the penalty, so we got to stay. We've got to stay on top of it. We cannot get blasé. I know the players won't, but I don't think we should either. I think we need to. Stay alert to the to the challenge that that lies ahead. Birmingham will be a very very different challenge, and this this group have got to get themselves up again to do it all over again, and then we can talk about a rest. I think it's like I say, we've absolutely got to enjoy tonight, um, but straight away eyes on eyes on uh, Saturday because Birmingham, what they're three points clear of. Uh, of Rotherham who are in the drop zone so they are going to be scrapping for their lives there's a new manager to impress I know they will have had one game under under their new manager Lee Bowie by the time they come to Vicarage Road but it's another very difficult challenge that, that that faces us and this side isn't perfect I think they were they were we should have had more goals I think um, Andre Gray I think will be frustrated I thought his touch was was really Listen good for the for the Gosling goal, I love his just, John. Can you just touching. fade him down? Have you got your just fade it. Just fade well, him I down. Say that, I can go longer than your fader can. So when you eventually pull it back up, I'll still be here. But what I was, I absolutely, I know what you're saying, Mike. But I suppose I, I'm I know, not I getting carried away. But what I, I think is that they, they are in such a different place. I don't mean we're all happy and jolly. Remember after Norwich, everyone was happy and jolly, and look, we can yeah. beat Norwich. We're great. But it was all false in many ways. This isn't. This no, is. It, I agree. It, it, this is. The, it, it's there. It, of course, it's not finished. It will be finished when the season is finished. That's when a, 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 this squad that are currently the Watford team will finish whatever they are, and we'll hopefully have to get some more in because we've we've been promoted. But you can't. We abs- Everyone knows that you're, you're, t- you're telling us the obvious. I know. know. I think it's more of a self-defense mechanism. This is. <laughs> don't get me wrong. This is a. This is a fine, fine team in fine, fine form. And they will go into uh, Saturday's game with Birmingham, despite everything I've just said, full of confidence. And we as supporters should too. I just think we need, we can't get carried away. It's been a, it's been a good night for Watford. Brentford have, have dropped points. It looks like Swansea are going to drop points at the time of recording. Uh, but we, at one stage, were nine points behind Brentford. That changed in a week. So we know what can happen in this division, I'm just uh, just urging a little bit of a little bit of caution, and even I'm starting to depress myself a bit now. That's uh, miserable, isn't it? But uh, I'm just desperate for us to capitalise. I think I think it was a really professional performance tonight. Everyone who needed to do well did well. I'm looking at Zinkenagel in particular. I think his incremental improvement is is happening quicker now it's really happening apace and he was you know we teams like Rotherham are, are still obdurate they're difficult to play against and they still needed to be taken apart and, and Philip Zinkenagel played a, a huge part in that so for him to have added confidence ahead of uh, along with uh, Ismail Assar and Jao Pedro who was who was his brilliant self again tonight Ken Semmer was, was busy and, and looked dangerous again Hughes and Chalabar coming into form and, and the back line looking great look they're, they're all in, in, in fine fine form I think I think what it is, lads. I'm just a bit nervous about the running already. 
let's not forget playing in the championship i know people say oh, it's fun because you win more games it's it's horrible it is mm -hmm. a horrible horrible league and it's a horrible experience when you're trying to go for promotion let's not forget that so you know let's enjoy the fact that they have they've not only won eight wins out of nine but they've also dealt a couple of little blows as well to mm -hmm. the other teams around them with swansea losing at, at bournemouth with brentford you know just having that um dismay of giving away a two-goal lead uh, at derby it's all about little punches and little digs it's a scrap all the way to the end and you know they're they're all right at the moment but there's going to be more digs coming in from all sorts of angles and let's not forget those final few games you know with Norwich and Swansea and Brentford and Luton and Reading you know the scrap is on but Watford you know they're they're landing some decent punches at the moment and that's that's really really good it's 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 a good situation to be in but, you know, we can maybe just switch off a little bit during the international break and then just get ourselves ready for the real dirty brawl that's to come. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Youth team football. It's been a, a core part of Watford. Uh, it's been a core part of the, the things that we have enjoyed uh, as a Watford fan and, and knowing that we have what it was deemed to be one of the, the best uh, youth academies uh, in the country. It's a forerunner for how things are meant to be run. Uh, and Mike, you know, on the, on the podcast over the last 10 years, we've spoken to lots of people. We've spoken to a lot of young players. And it's, it's a, there's always an element of pride, isn't there, when young players make it at Watford? There absolutely is, yeah. And, and you know, ten years ago when we started this, it was they were really, really important to to Watford. And 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 during that time, Watford performed pretty well against some difficult backdrops, largely down to those young players. So, I think it's certainly ingrained in in us, John, isn't it? Our our generation that they just feel important to us as a as a club. And I think you can widen that out, and you look at the ethos of the club and the the whole family reputation. And I think. The idea that Watford can um, identify a, a young talent, nurture him, bring him through, or her, of course, these days, um, into a professional footballer with a, with a decent career is something that you'd like to think your club can do. So whenever it does happen, and it, it happened a lot more frequently um, 10 years ago than it, than it does now, it, it absolutely is 
a, a source of pride. There's probably one song that every club likes singing. You know, you can you can hear it. And every terrace, he's one of our own. That always gets sung with with gusto. And like you say, John, absolute absolute pride. So yeah, I think it's something we we keep our eyes open for, isn't it? Yeah, we spoke to Nick Cox, who was the former academy boss about 10 years ago. He went on to Sheffield United, and uh, he's at Manchester United now, quite a big club. And we spoke to him in the summer, in fact, and, and he, I love how he, he looked back on all the boys that came into you know, the Harefield Academy. He still speaks to many of them, and even if they're not footballers, even if they're not top, top footballers, you know, he sort of still sees them and, and knows what they got out of being part of the Watford Academy setup. But, Adam, the, 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 it's, it's a different ball game now, this youth football, you know, especially since we were young fellas watching football they, they come through a lot younger than they used to and that isn't just a feeling because we're now over the age of 40 but there's this under 23 thing uh, and there's this this bunch of young players who we keep hearing about you've written a, a fair few articles on them it, it's different about how they're being looked at isn't it by the by the club going back to when the the Pozzo era started it, it was very much a switch from you know, the old school and bringing players through to a, a top-down approach, wasn't it? Whereby that the academy wasn't deemed to be um, the answer at that time. There were there were a few around, but linking into what Mike was saying there about, you know, he's one of our own. One of the last ones really that we were singing about was, was Sean Murray, wasn't he? And um, I remember speaking to him not that long ago when he was, you know, playing in the in the Europa League against Arsenal um, or Dundalk, where he is at the moment. So it, it does show you that it has been quite some time since someone has come into the side, established themselves um, and played a significant part. There have been other players, you know, Tommy Hoban, for example, more recently, you know, Brandon Mason. He came in for a little bit under Valter Mazzari um, and there have been a few others um, more recently. But, you know, if you look at that under 23 side at the moment, it's not a um, it's not an academy that is you know one of the top level academies. They're playing a couple of rungs down. When we have seen some of the players coming into the setup on um, mass, for example, when we played against Tranmere in the cup last year, and it was difficult circumstances, of course, that the games were coming thick and fast, and the, and the real priority was staying in the Premier League. The quality wasn't necessarily there for them to to come in and, and make a big impact but I think it was more the, the scenario at the time but it seems as if from that time you know from from the games against Tranmere that there's been a lot of hard work going on behind the scenes there's been structural changes there's been you know coaching changes for example you know Hayden Mullins has, has now gone um, Richard Thomas is sort of overseeing everything but Omar Reza is now the, the lead coach for the under 23s Richard Shaw who was at Crystal Palace you know he's now come in as well and I, I was very impressed with the interview that I saw with both of them when they were with Emma Saunders on Hive Live and they were speaking about you know how how they see the the development of players and and the importance um, of you know nurturing talent bringing talent through and seemingly from their perspective it does have a place at the moment at Watford. And I think we're sort of getting a feeling now that it is going to become more and more important if things don't go to plan at the end of this season, if we don't get up into the Premier League. I think there are they are going to have to tap into some of that talent a lot more. And there seems to be a few players, um, you know, we'll, we'll go into them now, but that have, have come into that group they might not have come all the way through from, you know, the under sixes, 
But, you know, they have come into that group and are starting to make an impact. And there are some that have been through, you know, that have started and, and came in, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. So, you know, there are things that are being done and they seem to have just sort of got a grip of it a bit better nowadays. Hopefully we're going to see the... Um, the fruits of their labour over the next couple of years. Yeah, we will see. And I think you're right. You're absolutely right, Adam. Like, where, where do they fit in? Uh, it depends on where Watford are. Um, it is great that we're giving a young player, 18 years old, or 19 now, in, in, uh, in Jab Pedro. But there's two players who came in in January who have got distinctive fathers uh, from a footballing background. Maurizio Pochettino Jr., uh, who we heard from. We spoke to, you, you spoke to his dad. Uh, and you've spoken to another dad, yeah, you may have heard of him. He's called Dennis Bergkamp. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. He, was, he was quite a good player back in the day. I don't know about signing his son. I would probably take a punt on <laughs> signing him, <laughs> even yeah. now. He, yeah, he could. He could still put on a show, I'm sure. It was, it was absolutely great to, to speak to him because he doesn't really do that many interviews. And fortunately, he was, he was willing to sit down you know we organized the interview at the end of last week and we had a, an hour on zoom talking about um in the main Mitchell but it was great being able to touch on moments in his career in the context of fatherhood as well so he he was able to talk about even prior to thinking about having his son he was already learning about the difficulties of being a a famous footballer with a son because he played under Johan Cruyff. He was a teammate of Jordi Cruyff at Euro 96. So he could already learn about that dynamic. And I think subsequent to uh, Mitchell arriving, you know, he was able to sort of learn about how to manage that situation from, you know, the late, great Johan Cruyff. I'm sure many people remember the goal that he scored against Argentina at the, um, the 98 World Cup in France because everyone was on the Dutch's side because <laughs> Argentina had beaten England in that dramatic um, you know, round of 16 tie with you know, Michael Owen, David Beckham, Simeone, penalties, Sol Campbell, all that sort of stuff. Um, so everyone was on the Dutch side. It was really, really lovely to hear him talk about that because you know, it was a great goal, great moment. But in the crowd was Henrita, who's his, his wife, and she was heavily pregnant with Mitchell. So he said you know, he was there. You know, it felt like he was he was there at that time, even though he wasn't he wasn't born. And then, you know, he basically talked about his path all the way through from, you know, a little kid playing football as, you know, us lot would have done for a, a local side. He was playing for a team called Hadley Rangers near Barnet and then sort of just playing park football. And Dennis Bergkamp would be on the touchline as, as the dad, you know, which is, is fantastic. And then going back to Holland he played for a, a smaller side, good side, but smaller side, uh, Spakenberg, um, which is Henrita's hometown, his wife. Um, and then he went, rather than going with Dennis through the Ajax route, he went to a place called Almera uh, and then spent nine years there. And he, and he did say that sometimes the dynamic wasn't quite right because there was a lot of expectation on on Mitchell, who incidentally does have Dennis as his, as his middle name. And then he talks about coming over here and, and how it all came about. Coming to, firstly, Arsenal, obviously now uh, being at Watford, talking about some of the sort of the, the physical similarities, but also talking about the actual similarities to growing up. Because when Dennis was at Arsenal in the olden days, they were training at Watford's training ground now before they moved in in 1999 so you know that it's it's sort of it's gone full circle that Mitchell's now training on the pitches or pretty much the same pitches I'm sure Scott Tingley's got them um, 
prepared very, very well nowadays in comparison to the olden days at Arsenal. But, you know, the same pitches, he's living the same life. So it's... um. It was absolutely great to speak to, to to Dennis and I really appreciated his time. And yeah, I guess we can have a little listen to, to what he said. When I scored a goal against Argentina, the next day I was with my wife in the pool in a villa they uh, we rented for my family. Yeah, it was very peaceful after the hectic day before scoring that goal and everything, which was just quite a special goal. And uh, yeah, that always stuck in my mind that Mitchell was still... He wasn't born yet, but uh, yeah, in a way he was there, of course, uh, during that tournament and watching the goal from the stands. Yeah, I sometimes speak to Mitchell in a in a funny way. But, well, you, you've already been on a pitch with 60,000 people, so there's no pressure for you, you know, if, if, if he sometimes gets a little bit nervous for a game or whatever. I said, just relax because you've been there already. Yeah, it's not, not a big thing. I could really see, okay, wait a minute, that, that's how I played football as well, because I had the, the feeling as well, I, I want to be there on the pitch, you know. I'm a shy, well, I'm a modest guy, but I, I want to be there. I, I want to perform, I want to entertain people, and I want to, to do well. It doesn't really bother me if it doesn't go well. That attitude he cut during the last three or four years, I guess, that really made a difference for him, that made a difference for us as well, seeing that, okay, he... he, he he really wants to go for it, for, for, to play football. And that resulted in where he is now. It all started with Ian Wright coming here, doing the interview that he, that he did. He, he basically said, like, why, why is he not trying in England? Why is he not trying at, at Arsenal? It got the ball rolling. And, and, and in the end, there was a trial planned. So many coincidences. It's, it's, it's unbelievable because he's living the life now that, that my wife and me lived when we joined, of course. Yeah. It's the same training pitches and Sainsbury's is across the, 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 the motorway. And uh, yeah, it, it's the same area that we spend our life for Mitchell as well. I mean, where he went to school is only uh, a mile away. It's incredible. And uh, he said as well, straight from the beginning, he said, this, this feels like home. Being in England again, yeah, he, he's always been, in our opinion, he's always been more English than Dutch. He loves the culture. He loves the country. He loves the nature and, and parks and, and system and yeah he fitted in from from day one you know adam he's, he's is he his only son he is his only son so no pressure at all no pressure at all <laughs> yeah. to, to say well yeah. i'm sorry son yeah. you've got to play football yeah. <laughs> but with a dutch yeah. accent of course you know it's, it's it's interesting like to to hear that and almost like to hear from you never really get a lot from young young men in terms of what they want to share and what they're especially footballers who how much they want to share but there was a good old proud dad in there wasn't there yeah, very much so. You can you can tell that he is he's so proud at the moment and he would he would absolutely love to be able to be there and and watching games at the moment because it is actually quite an important time for for Mitchell because you know he's only got a couple of months before his initial deal at Watford runs out. So he he does have to show um because he is 22 as well. So there's not sort of much mileage in him being in the under-23 setup for long. And he has been training with the first team. But you can tell that Dennis would love to be there and he's keeping in touch. And he, he was t- he was joking about, you know, I'm getting links sent through of, of games. And I'm like, where where am I watching this? It, like moody streams of games in, you know, Cardiff and all this sort of stuff. It was just really funny. He just... He just wants him to be happy. I think that's that's what came across, you know, when, when I spoke to Maurizio Pochettino, I spoke to Dennis Bergkamp. They just want their sons to be happy. They just want their children to be happy like we all do. And obviously there is pressure and there, there is 
external expectation, but you just want your children to be happy in, in whatever they do. And I think what he has learnt, and this has sort of happened over the last few years, is that he has seen the development of his son into almost sort of grasping this opportunity now and thinking, I'm not, I'm not just here because I am Dennis Bergkamp's son. I'm here because I'm a good footballer. And he's now having an opportunity to to prove that in his own right. It's the same for, for Maurizio Pochettino Jr., you know, having stepped out of the Spurs Academy from, you know, where his dad was to now being at Watford. He's on his own. He's he's having to show it on his own during a difficult time as well, you know, with, with Mitchell over here, you know, living away from home, being here um, during COVID as well. It's tough. It's going to be, a you know, a real sort of test of their characters. And, you know, fingers crossed for both of them, not just because they've got snazzy names it's just because they they may well turn out to be decent players and you know important players for Watford so we just have to sort of wait and see and see see what happens and and you never know because Estelle who is his eldest um, daughter this is this Dennis Bergkamp's daughter Estelle she actually goes out with Donny van der Beek who plays for Manchester United so she is already over in England and he coached Donny van der Beek when he was like 11, 12 years old. So he actually, he's, he's like, I've, I've known him for a long time. You know, I, I, I know him. I've, I, I've, <laughs> I've got his I know number. Him. I know, I know him. And he, yeah, exactly. He knows me. So, you know, don't step out of line, son. She's over here. Mitchell's over here. Maybe Dennis might be coming over next. Obviously by car, because he still doesn't fly. But um, it may well be that he, he comes over and, you know, he's, he's, the thing the thing that's really interesting just final point on on Dennis is that you know what came across in that and you know reading ahead before the interview was you know when he was on the coaching staff at Ajax he was he was happy being part of the coaching team he doesn't want to be a head coach he doesn't want to be a manager he doesn't want to be front of house he's quite you know keen to work in a backroom team and i think that that sort of reflects his his personality he spoke uh, a little bit in the piece as well about sort of being quite modest but doing his talking on the pitch and just sort of doing it with his actions rather than being a shouter and a baller he's he's more into the sort of craft of football and you could imagine he would be wonderful to work with him on the on the training pitch to to just see how he moves um how he can sort of just tell you just those little sort of delicate touches that you used to see him just sort of sprinkle on matches yeah but you always think that you you can't you can't teach that it's almost like that's that's the natural flair the natural touch that they have and you hope that's the thing that he can just pass down through genes not being passed down through coaching tips from dad in in the back garden absolutely no 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 I completely agree I mean you can't you can learn things you can learn you know how to kick a ball in a certain way and you can learn from you know, great players who can tell you how to do it. But obviously, yeah, the, the, the gene factor in this situation is fascinating because when you see Mitchell Bergkamp, you see Dennis Bergkamp. You see you see everything, the way that he runs, his his profile, his his hairline, the way that he glides across the, the field. He's slightly different. He's a bit more sort of... Um, He's more of a sort of a box-to-box midfielder, more of a link-up player rather than a sort of a creative player. But there's even these little moments where, I don't know if you remember when, I mean, obviously, you know, people can picture that wonderful goal that he scored against Newcastle where he sort of flipped the ball around oh, yes. the, the right-hand side of Nikos Dabizas and then adjusted his body and slotted it home and all that sort of stuff. But those little sort of toe-tap movements that Dennis used to make when he was changing direction, 
you know, just those little sort of hops of just, I don't know, just wonderment. Like he was just sort of just sprinkling stardust on the on the football pitch as he was moving his feet. You see that on occasion with Mitchell, the way that he moves, and it's just fascinating. And from Dennis's point of view, speaking about his son and seeing his son's development, he has seen that start to come because he's seeing his son sort of take hold of this this opportunity that he's got, as I was mentioning, and sort of gain confidence as well. So you know, fingers crossed for him. Look, if it doesn't go to plan, I'm sure he will go somewhere else or someone else might pick him up or whatever happens. But, you know, just on a human level, you, you I've spoken to someone's dad who's got a, a footballing son who's really hopeful that he does well. doesn't matter that it's Dennis Bergkamp, but it does make the story even more interesting. The other player you've talked about, uh, current young player you've uh, written about, Adam, uh, is uh, one Joseph Hungbo. He doesn't have a famous dad that I know about. He's uh, that other sort of uh, player that Watford are bringing in. Um, not again, not from Harefield. They're bringing them in from uh, from other clubs, but they are they're giving them those opportunities in in the youth setup. He looks like just one another one of the, the next one off the rank. What what was, do you think special about about Joseph? Before you answer that, Adam, I'd be interested to. Just get a get your snap take on this because it's interesting you mentioned Mitchell Bergkamp's age, which is you know early twenties, what twenty two, and it, we we can fall into the trap of thinking Joseph Hungbo's really young as well. But when you compare him to we mentioned Jao Pedro for example early in the podcast, you know he's got two or three four years on someone like Jao Pedro who's already forged played in the Premier League and is and is really making a name for himself in the uh, in the Championship now. Do you think that people like Joe Hungbo ad would get a, would have got a chance or would have forced himself in if Watford weren't so light on the on the bench? Do you think it, the, 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 his talent is if he, he had he has he caught the eye enough to really force his way in under normal circumstances? I think that's a difficult one. I think that, that yeah, the, the the fact that the squad has been stripped down quite a lot and and the process of doing that started in the summer, it's contributed to not only the story of, of um, Joseph Hungbo, but also Mitchell Bergkamp and Maurizio Pochettino Jr. Are being part of the setup. Because if you remember, back in the summer, there was a lot of need for those under-23 players to actually be training with, with the first team to make up numbers because there weren't that many players around. And then later, you know, in January the same thing was happening. So they, they were keen to have some experienced bodies as part of that under-23 setup. So they thought, OK, well, let's let's give Mitchell a go. Let's give, you know, Maurizio Pochettino. I think they're sort of different levels. I think they've got, you know, really high hopes for Maurizio Pochettino uh, Jr. And they're hoping for the same with Mitchell Bergkamp. It does sort of also kick on with, with Joe Hungbo because, you know, he is now, what, 21 years old. That is the time that you want to be, you know, making the step up from the under 23s into the into the first team if you haven't already done it. So I think they're still trying to strike the balance correctly with that under 23 setup. They want it to be more sort of 17, 18, 19 year olds as the as the core of the group rather than sort of older players. And there are some, you know, some talented players in that group. Uh, Bosson Lawal, who's he's a very, very exciting central defender he can play sort of central defensive midfield as well sort of makes very sort of strong runs but he's very good at organizing at the back 
but he can also bring the ball forward very well. We've spoken about uh, Sonny Blulo Everton before. You know, he, he made his name in the in the Youth Cup run a, a few years ago, and he's developing physically as well. He's looking a bit bulkier, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. Dan Phillips as well. Obviously, we've seen him come in. Um, so there are players that are coming through that have sort of we've seen the benefit of them coming through that age group from the 18s through to the to the 23s especially in the in the case of of Sonny but going back to Joe Hungbo his story is more about hard work dedication focus and i was able to speak to his his brother he's one of six hungbo children and his the brother that is just older than him is jacob and he actually looked after him took him under his wing right from the start, really. And in the piece that I wrote for The Athletic, which I hope that people get an opportunity to read, because it's it's quite interesting just seeing how chances sometimes arrive out of nowhere. And he, he tells the story about that they used to um, all go to Saturday school. And one week they didn't have the... His mum didn't have the, the cash to give them to go to Saturday school. So his brother Jacob said, look, I'm going off to this trial that one of my mates has set up there's going to be a crystal palace scout there why don't you come along joe so he sort of got dragged along as the as the younger younger brother obviously was a, t- a talented footballer but wasn't going to really make you know wasn't likely to to sort of um stick out amongst you know 11 12 year olds when he's only 9 but at the end of it he was the one that got taken on by by Crystal Palace, got given a trial, and within a week he was sort of on the books of Crystal Palace. And then he went all the way through the age groups. And it wasn't until the last year before he was released that he sort of got shifted around. And it was a competitive, really strong uh, development group at Crystal Palace. And he got shifted out of position. His favoured position is out on the right-hand side, so he can cut in on his left foot. Remember, he's a left footer, which is which is a benefit as well. And he got moved into a number 10 position. And he wasn't really sort of having a, as much of an impact as the coaches would have liked on games. He got a shoulder injury. He got sent out on a bit of a brutal loan, it sounds like, to Margate and got sort of buffeted around. And then he got released soon after. And then the the connection sort of kicked in with Fitz Hall, who'd taken charge of him. He'd taken over from his from his brother Jacob, looking after his interests. We all know uh, Fitz Hall from his time at at Watford and previously at Crystal Palace. He got him in at Watford, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll snap your hand off," because you know a player of that caliber, free, no compensation, can come straight into the under twenty three group is going to be of benefit. And we've seen him sort of continue that hard work, that striving effort to make it, um, which had come from his family and his brother, especially Jacob, who's such a lovely guy to speak to. And he was really encouraging and so happy when he saw him make his sort of what they consider his real debut at Old Trafford, because he obviously had that sort of really tough time (laughs) against Tranmere, didn't have a great game against Newport earlier on this season. But then recently, he seems to have sort of come in and stuck around. He's been on the bench a lot. And the cameos that he made against Wickham, uh, against Nottingham Forest, also at Old Trafford, remember, he came in, cut inside from the right onto his left, had that shot. It was only deflected wide by by Harry Maguire. You know, he's come in and he's making an impact. And that's all you can ask. So fingers crossed for him. And he's got another year after the end of this this year. So he's got a real opportunity, you know, whether we go up or we don't, to hopefully get more game time and he's he's just looked he's looked confident and he's looked like he's he he knows what he's doing when he's on the football pitch and that's all you can ask you don't want to 
you know, you don't want someone who's going to look like a rabbit in the headlights um, coming into the side. And he certainly doesn't look like that. He, he goes he goes quick. He's direct and he gets the ball in and he fizzes it in. So fingers crossed for him. Yeah, he seems to be that player who, you know, it, it, he's coming through in the right way. We're not having to throw him in at the deep end like it almost felt like we were 10 years ago. Uh, but he is he's, he's getting that exposure. He's getting those minutes uh, and it is exciting. And it would be fantastic if, if we saw him contribute something one game one mega game maybe that uh, that gets us promoted and 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 you know I really want to see those young players come through Watford I think it's really important to me that we see them make an impact uh not be have to be the stars of the show as uh, maybe they had to be uh, in the past especially with someone like Sean Murray under Sean Dyche um but it, it's important uh, as we said at the beginning Mike isn't it that that the, we have this thing that we've we've held dear to our hearts for for decades now. Yeah, it is. It's, we've we've nicely come full full circle, haven't we? I mean, we've talked about the differing journeys that that these players have to go on to to end up in a yellow shirt, either in the first team or on the in the under twenty threes, pushing for pushing for that first spot, effectively becoming successful professional footballers. You know, Dennis Bergkamp's son Mitchell. He has the the benefit, but obviously also the the pressure of being Dennis's son. Joseph Hungbo has had a very different route. You know, he had to battle as well. I love the detail in the piece, Adam, about, you know, post-Crystal Palace training, talking to his brother when he was trudging back up the hill to get the train home when perhaps some of his peers were being picked up in uh, in flash cars and, and, and sped off to back to their back to their homes. But And they said, it will be worth it one day. And that's what, that's what fills you with joy, really, watching him sort of scampering down the wing, making an impact, knowing that he put those real hard yards in and his brother helping him along. And I'm sure he's, he helped his brother in, in different times as well. And it just gives you that sort of warm feeling, doesn't it, as a, as a sport observer and also as a human to know that someone has put the hard yards in, continues to put the hard yards in, and then is, is reaping the benefits and reaping the rewards with what have been you know, really exciting cameos. You know, making, you're turning up and, and playing against Old Trafford for anyone, that's going to be an absolute thrill, isn't it? As, let alone a kid who, who, who felt like perhaps he might have been harshly treated by Palace and his dream might have been over, get, getting on at Man United, then coming on against, albeit sort of slightly weaker and, weaker and, and potentially beaten um, opposition in, in the face of Forrest and, and Wickham. But he has made an impact. He has been confident. And it, and having read the piece and then looking back on his performances, he does feel like a a chap who is grasping the opportunity, doesn't he? He's not, as you said, Ad. He's not not a rabbit in the headlights, which perhaps we have seen. You know, I'd look perhaps at someone like Dom Queener, whose whose opportunities earlier in the earlier in the uh, earlier in the season, I don't think he necessarily grasped them in a very different team at a very different time, of course. Um, but but none of that from from Hungbo. So it'd be absolutely fascinating to see how he gets along. But I think as an overall piece, it's it's interesting and important to give time to understand where these guys come from, the effort and the um, just the, the general up and down there is involved in in getting to this stage. Uh, just, just even have a fledgling career, it's it's very very hard. So I think it, it we, we'll all do well to to stop and and remember that and reading Adams pieces on the on the subject is a is a really good place to to start so yeah really enjoyed that and and really enjoyed Hungbo's sort of um 
cameos so far, and let's let's hope we see uh, Bergkamp emblazoned across the a, a yellow shirt and on the pitch doing some exciting stuff soon too. If you want to read that article uh, about Joseph Hungbo uh, or the interview with Dennis Bergkamp uh, to find more about his son Mitchell, uh, then you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend uh, and sign up for a subscription. It's only three ninety nine at the moment, about forty percent off for the first six months. Uh, so take out the offer by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. Thank you very much for your time this evening, Michael. Thanks a lot. Sorry to be so sorry to be so miserable. Well done, Watford. Thoroughly ruthless, thoroughly, thoroughly professional, thoroughly impressive. Come on, you horns. Uh, thank you very much, Adam. It's a process of checks and balances, this podcast. And I think <laughs> I think it's been it's been really nicely dealt with there by uh, by Mike. So, yeah, well done, everyone. Good job. We'll be back uh, after the Birmingham City game this weekend. Uh, and do tell your friends that you can follow from the weekend uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Second in the league, and the countdown is on. The Athletic.